I was driving on the freeway and I was in the Burnt River Canyon, just this side of Weatherby. I was headed that direction. There was a car on the other side headed this way with its hood up and there's a man under the hood. So I pulled over and stopped and had to run across the freeway, which is a freaky experience. But uh, I get over there and the guys, uh, they've had a, the couple has had a spark plug come unthreaded and it blew out the top. There was less oil there than I expected, but it had destroyed the coil, just shredded it into pieces. Uh, But the spark plug was still good, and he didn't have a spark plug socket, and I didn't either. But after several more trips back and forth across the freeway, I came up with a bottle jack handle, and he had a little piece of rubbery plastic, and we slid the spark plug on there and threaded it in, and I had some zip ties in my tool bag, and we zip tied on the coil, and it worked. It was, it was shocking, actually, to see how bad of a shape it was, but it worked, and they were very thankful. It only cost me about 15 minutes of my time, and I left very excited. It felt really good to stop and help somebody who would have been pretty helpless, and how many cars do we pass on the freeway that are stopped, and you know, we don't know if they're helpless or if they're getting it done. Who knows? Probably five, six, seven years ago, I came across a pickup with the hood up just north of Island City out by the Boise Cascade Mill, and I pulled over, and, and I got under the hood with the guy, and he's a Mexican man that doesn't speak any English, and I have about 10 words of Spanish that I know, and he had some bolt cutters, and he was about to cut his battery cable because his, ba- his battery had died while he was driving uh, into town, and I knew that that's not a battery problem, that's his alternator, because uh, your battery doesn't operate really the vehicle while you're driving and he had a he had a second battery that had side posts and this was a top post cable and he he was going to cut this thing with a battery with a bolt cutter and put this other battery on and it only would have got him into Legrand, I suppose and then he would have been dead again and had no battery cable and I kept pointing at the alternator and I don't know the Spanish word for alternator I, I or battery or anything and I just kept pointing at this and I hoped he knew what it was I just I didn't know how to communicate with him, and I finally got him. There was some recognition of what I was trying to say to him, and and so then he didn't know what to do. And so I said, well, I hook up, and I'll tow you into town. I towed him into Island City to Mike's shop, and we told him about, you know, the alternator is what needs replaced. And and he opened his, pulled out his wallet and opened his wallet, and I think he had $3 in there. And it was just kind of like, I knew he was on his way to Ontario. I'd gotten that much previously. So here I am, I've towed this guy into the shop and he has no money to buy an alternator and I can't just dump that on Mike. I didn't have an extra 150 bucks laying around, but I pulled out my checkbook and I pointed at my checkbook and he kind of gave me this look like I don't understand. And all I knew to do was I pointed in the sky and I said, Jesus Christos. (laughs) And then I I pointed at my, I said, Jesus Christos, and, he, and the smile that he erupted in is one of the top 25 moments of my life. Uh, it was so awesome when he realized Jesus was going to buy his alternator. Uh, he just beamed, and we had church right there in front of Mike's shop and without saying anything except, Jesus Christos. I don't even know if that's how you say it. I just, that, that's, I don't even know. I don't even know. So, but he got it. He knew what I meant. That's, I don't, anyway. He was so happy. And he was pointing at his heart and he gave me a big old handshake and kind of a half hug and, you know, because we're total strangers. 
uh, it was it was wonderful. I was so I, I did not have any hundred fifty dollars, but I wrote Mike a check. <laughs> I mean, the money was there, but I, you know we we're going to need it before the next paycheck comes in. And and but I don't know how it turned out, but it did. I mean, I didn't. We didn't lack anything. We got him hooked up, and I I left. And seriously, it's one of the happiest moments of my life. I to be able to help him uh, when he had absolutely nothing was great fun. And I was very honored that God had had me stop. But God didn't tell me to stop. I could have driven right on past. I, I could have. But Jesus said this in Luke 10. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine, he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and those are coins, each one's worth 100 to $200 in our money today. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, whatever you spend. When I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. It's a really famous story. I suppose people that don't even know the Bible know that story. Jesus' point here is to a man that wanted to ask him, who is my neighbor? When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, this man says, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells him this story and asks him, so who's the neighbor? Well, the one who was helpful. These two religious people drive by on the other side of the road. But the Samaritan, who in Jesus' day would have been the outcast from society and been rejected by the Jews... The Samaritan takes care of a man who would have been his enemy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. One day several years ago, I was walking from Ace Hardware to Rite Aid, and I came around the corner, and there's a man sort of squatted along the wall, and he's got blood all over his face and all over his shirt. His eyes are black. His nose is about double the size of normal. He's got a cotton swab in his nose of some sort. And I said, whoa, what happened to you? Because it was fresh. As he began to talk, I could tell he was mostly drunk and hungover, and he was from Joseph, and he had hitchhiked his way to the bar here in LaGrande on Friday night, and he said, I left the bar, and the sidewalk just leapt up and grabbed me. So he had gotten so drunk that he had fallen flat on his face and not even caught himself. He just smashed his face, and he was mad because he'd gone to the hospital, and all they'd done was put a cotton swab in his nose, and you know, I didn't have any way to necessarily help him. He was there at Rite Aid waiting on the bus to get a ride back to Joseph. and So I just stood with him and talked. I didn't try to get him saved. I didn't re- tell him he was stupid for getting drunk. I just stood with him. There's a lot of people that do stupid stuff, but they're in real pain because of it. doesn't do any good to chew them out. He asked me if I had a lighter, 
I need a cigarette. I said, no, I don't have a lighter. He asked me to go buy him one. So your pastor went into Rite Aid and bought a lighter so a guy could have a smoke. And I stood with him while he smoked his cigarette, and we talked. You know, people just, I don't know, I felt great compassion for him because he was all alone and hurting. And obviously, if he's going to do what he did, the guy's hurting and lonely, and who knows how life has kicked him in the butt, and he probably just needed somebody to care. I think about him often. Four years ago at Christmas, we were driving through Wyoming, and a girl had a wreck right in front of us. She, there were, the wind was blowing, and there was little snowdrifts um, behind the post, and she hit one, and it spun her car into the guardrail, and plastic exploded everywhere, and she is sideways in the interstate right over the crest of a hill. It was very urgent and dangerous for a while until we, we got her out of the road before a truck comes over the hill. You know, if one truck comes, they can swerve, and they did, and we got honked at. But if two trucks had come over side by side, it would have been a disaster. We got her off the road, and this early 20s girl driving from Salt Lake to Denver for Christmas to see her dad, and she had just totaled her car. So we were packed to the roof with Christmas stuff and four kids' worth of luggage, but we got her luggage in our vehicle and loaded her in, and then she needed a ride as far as Cheyenne because that's where the freeway splits and goes down to Denver. So she was with us for over an hour in our car, and she was on the phone a lot. And Some of you who've been in a bad wreck, you know that shakiness, that adrenaline high that comes, and she had a little bit of that, and she was emotional part of the time, but there was some normal conversation, and and I don't know how it all came out, but, you know, we, she knew we were Christians, and being from Salt Lake, she said, what kind of Christians? And I said, well, just the kind that loves Jesus. No brand name, we just love Jesus. That's kind of my standard answer. Uh, when people want to brand me, um, I just say, I don't have a brand, I just love Jesus. So we got her to the Flying J at Cheyenne, and her dad wasn't going to be able to come for several hours uh, up from Denver. So Sarah was praying with her, and we, the police had showed up and taken a statement, and, and Sarah came to me and said, can we give her $100? And she may have had a card, I, I don't know, but it doesn't matter, it just... She's there all alone, and she's young and without a car and without her stuff, and we just wanted to take care of her. It's what the Good Samaritan does in Jesus' story, and so we gave her a $100 bill, and, and uh, when, she, when we did that, then she started crying, as I remember, and Sarah had another moment with her, and then we loaded back up and went on to Missouri. And uh, we, we have talked about and prayed for her, and and I, I ask Jesus regularly to save her. I hope that the seeds that were planted that day have, have borne fruit. I, I really do. I, I, we're going to see Allie in, in heaven. Probably won't see her again around here. But I want to pause here, and some of you might be thinking, Mitch, you're not supposed to tell these stories. You're not supposed to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and I'm not, because you all are my right hand folks. Uh, <laughs> Um, seriously, I would never tell these stories outside of the church and I'm not bragging at all. Jesus was talking about bragging about your giving, doing it for show like the Pharisees. He said they have their reward because they're getting the accolades. I have no 
need for your accolades or applause. But, you know, there are some things that our kids see what Sarah and I do because they're there when it happens, when we take care of somebody or help out. There's other things that happen during my day that they weren't there, but there's a lesson in it that I want my kids to get. So at the dinner table, I will tell them what happened and how I got to help this person or that. And that's not what Jesus was saying don't do, because i got to teach my kids how to do if they don't ever know. But there are a lot of stuff Sarah and I do and where we've given that our kids have no idea, and it's none of their business. And it's the same with you. I'm not your dad, but I am your shepherd. And some of the things you see and know what the church does, other things we do together as a church or I do as your pastor, and I have to tell you because I want to teach you and I want to let you know what you're a part of that you weren't a part of. And then there's a lot of stuff that I do that's none of your business. I'm not here to brag. It's actually humiliating. This was Sarah's word last night. Please do not um, judge me for... uh, telling these stories. I can't tell other people's stories. That doesn't give me any authority. I have to, I have to tell you what, what I've lived and where we've been. So when I lived in London as a college student, like any large city, there's a lot of homeless people and a lot of strung out people and just, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of people living in the subway tunnels. They, They just camp out in the station and and so every once in a while I would stop and give somebody food or money if I thought that was the right thing to do. And I have a couple memories of two people specifically that were stick out in my mind. There's one guy had a little dog and maybe a guitar, I think, I don't know, but he was he could have been passed out really for all I know. He was so slumped over and not responsive at all. And it, just leaning against the wall with his legs out, you know, they make you step over them. Uh, some of them do that on purpose. But I got down and I, I got, I knelt down like this right in front of him. And, and I said, sir, and I, I think he was asleep actually, probably in his mid twenties. He looked up and the reason I will never forget it is because his eyes had no iris and no pupil. They were completely gray. It was something out of a horror movie. How, They weren't black, it was gray. And he looked up at me, he was obviously strung out on something really bad, but he made eye contact in a way that told me nobody ever makes eye contact. Nobody kneels down, they just step over and ignore me. And I gave him, I think I had five one pound coins. That's not a weight, that's an amount of money. In Britain, I had five pounds that I gave him, and he, th- he thanked me again in a way that was like he was genuinely thankful. Uh, he wasn't begging. He was shocked. Uh, once in a while, you have some pretty amazing experiences. I certainly haven't done it all right. I have a memory, a terrible memory, from 15 years ago or more. I was at the grocery store in Elgin, and I got my stuff in my pickup, and I started my vehicle, and right there in front of me is a man popping cans into the can machine, and the Holy Spirit said, give that man $20, and I had a $20 bill in my wallet, and I knew I did, but I thought, oh, I have to get it, shut my pickup off and lock it and get out, and I'll have to talk to him for 10 or 15 minutes, and 
So I put my pickup in reverse and I drove off. And by, I didn't even out of Elgin yet. And I was feeling the burn of the Holy Spirit. And I got home and I feeling the burn even hotter. And I, I kind of wanted to drive back and see if he was even still there because I knew I had really disappointed or I disobeyed God and he was not pleased. I didn't sleep that night very well. I didn't sleep very well the next night. By the third day, I would have found that guy and given him a $100 bill in order to get rid of the feeling that I was having. I, I would gladly part with 100 bucks to cleanse my conscience. It, I totally, blatantly disobeyed God over 20 bucks. Like, how stingy is that? The church gets requests for money regularly. Not every day, but multiple times a week. We'll get calls to help with rent or utilities. People ask us to pay for their cell phone bill. It's amazing what people will ask for. So usually it's so common and it's almost always a scam. Usually I ignore it. I just don't even return the phone call because I know these guys, they're calling every church and all the organizations around town and they're just working it. Well, there was a day several years ago, six, eight years ago, that I got a call from Flying J. Actually, I didn't take it. Jana took it. And, and there's a family that needed gas. My day's busy. It's full. They'll find it somewhere else. About noon, I got another note from Jana. Flying J has called again. There's a family there that needs gas. I have a couple meetings. I've got an appointment. I just, I, I just forgot about it. And uh, in the afternoon, there were two more calls from Flying J. So I decided, okay, somebody that calls four times is not lying. That's not a scam. They're, they really, truly are in need. They're not just going to drive on to the next town and hit up everybody in Pendleton. So I decided it's, it's in the winter. It's dark. It's probably 5 o'clock. And it's one of those nights when the wind is screaming I decide, all right, I better go check this out. So I drove to the Flying J, and I walked in, and the ladies at the cash register said, oh, yeah, we'll take you out. So they walked me out to where the trucks park, and there is a, just a hunk of junk jalopy of a car with plastic on one window. It's packed to the roof with stuff and a dog, and there's a boy maybe six or eight, nine years old in the back, and it's mom and dad in the front, and... and uh, they had been there since 7 that morning. Um, they were driving from, I think, Oklahoma, maybe even further east, to Portland in the dead of winter. They didn't have any money. It was very obvious. This was not a lie. They didn't have any money. I felt really bad, not that necessarily that I had delayed, but just I felt the weight of their poverty and the helplessness of their situation to be stuck, literally stuck in in Legrand and have no money and no one to help. And they, the, the girls that I talked to in Flying J said they have called every church and every organization in town a couple of times and no one came out. I said, I will fill their tank right now. The guy was pretty agitated and in a hurry. He did say thank you, but he wasn't angry at me, but he was in a big hurry because they had wasted their day. He drove off before I even got a chance to say, hey, I will buy you food because the, the girls said they hadn't eaten all day. Uh, there was just nothing. It was, it was grinding poverty and desperate need and in a way that I will never forget. Again, I was glad to help, but some of the people's situations that, that we help as a church 
or us personally, it, it's just really hard. It's really sad. Isaiah 58, 7 says, Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from those who need your help. Do not hide from those who need your help. I love how that verse tells you to give your money to the church and the food bank and let us distribute it for you. Seriously, it's there. Don't you see it? It says, give it to Pastor Mitch and he'll take care of it. You don't have to worry about it. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. At least that's the way a bunch of people operate. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28.27 says, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. He, the one who hides his eyes will have many curses. You don't have to give to the guy on the corner at Walmart with the cardboard sign. But do not look the other way. You don't have to give to him. I don't. But you turn and look him in the eye and say, hello. Do not hide your eyes. If you want to give, great. You don't have to, but you look him in the eye. Some of you don't think you're responsible for other people. And you would say, why should I be responsible? They live their life, they make their decisions, and there's the consequences of it. And all that is true. But if you're going to ask Cain's question, you're going to get Cain's curse. We are responsible to take care of our neighbors. That does not necessarily mean give them money. But we are responsible to take care of them. Some of you don't think you are responsible. You've excused yourself. Others of you just throw money out the window at the guy at the stop sign and you drive on and you ease your conscience. Well, it's not my responsibility how they spend it. Yes, it is. You are responsible to take care of your neighbors. All of us who claim to be Christians are. In Leviticus... Chapter 19, God says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So in the days of the Bible, Old Testament, you know, they're harvesting their wheat and barley with a scythe and some of the grain's going to fall over. And when the, when the um, girls are coming along and gathering it in the sheaf and tying it up, some of it's going to fall out. And there's, you know, the, por- the property boundary of whatever fence they've got or whatever. It's kind of hard to get up against that. God says, don't be stingy and try to get every single little piece. You leave it there for people to come and get. And you see that in the book of Ruth, where Ruth and Naomi don't have income and they go out and gleaning out of uh, Boaz's field. And he was leaving extra for them on purpose because he's a generous guy. But then God says, when you pick your vineyard, don't get every grape. Any fruit you harvest is not, there's not every apple on the tree is going to be ripe at the same time. Not all the grapes come ripe at the same time. He said, you pick it once and you leave the rest of it and let the poor of your village come out and pick your grapes when they come ripe later. You with me? They didn't mail them a debit card with preloaded funds on it that poor had to come out and work for what they got like everybody else. But God says, don't harvest the corners of your field. Well, you don't have a field, you have a paycheck. Don't spend up the corners of your paycheck. Leave a little extra around the edges to take care of the poor around you. If your budget goes clear to the border of your paycheck, 
and every dime is accounted for with you, you're not leaving the corners of your field. Hello? Every paycheck, every month, leave the corners to give away. See how it applies? In Deuteronomy, God says this, Deuteronomy 15, If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Don't be a grouchy, unwilling giver. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land, therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand wide to your brother, to your needy, and the poor in your land. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, works for you, you he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and your grain and your wine. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. God says, be generous with the poor in your community and with your employees. It's like God's severance package or something. When you get somebody that works for you quits, take care of them. We are responsible to take care of the people around us. But then we all know there are professional scammers. There are people that work the system. There are people that lie to us. What do we do about that? I I mentioned a few weeks ago that last year at Christmas, we were in Twin Falls, stopped at the Flying J for gas, and there's a man there with a cardboard sign that said, I need gas to get to Oklahoma City. He's got on a particular shirt, and he's got his dog with him and a gas can as a prop. And the next day, he's at our Walmart asking for money to get to Oklahoma City. And I, oh, I was so mad. I wanted to jump out and say, look, dude, besides you, I'm the only guy on the planet that was in Twin Falls yesterday and LaGrande, Oregon today, and you are a liar, and you are robbing people because you're not headed to Oklahoma City. You went the wrong direction. You know, we had a man, um, ten, close to 10 years ago, a man pulled into our church parking lot in a Jaguar with gold wheels and asked for gas money. And he told me he was a pastor in Nampa, Idaho, and he was on his way to Seattle to pick up his daughter from Bible school. But it was in the middle of a semester where there was no break, and I really didn't believe him. And I asked him questions about his church and why his daughter's leaving Bible school in the middle of the semester, and he kind of hum-hawed and really didn't answer my questions. I did not believe him, but I gave him 20 bucks. And as he drove off right out here, the Holy Spirit seriously rebuked me he said if you're what you just gave him is only going to get him to Pendleton if you're going to give him money give him gas money to get to Seattle if you're going to accuse him of lying and not give him anything then do that the Holy Spirit really did not care just be hot or cold but I'd played the middle just to ease my conscience give him 20 bucks and get out of my hair don't be my problem today hello be hot or cold If you don't want to give, don't give a dime. If you really think you're getting lied to, be fine with that. Look them in the eye and say, no thanks, not today. If you're going to give them what they're asking for, what they tell you they need, I should have given him 100 bucks. That would have got him to Seattle. 
to the Lord was not pleased. Be hot or cold. Don't play the middle to ease your conscience. It makes you uncomfortable to drive past the person at the stop sign at the Walmart parking lot. So you put a five or a ten out the window. God bless you. Have a good day. No, stop and talk with them. The guy's making 40 bucks an hour or maybe 100 bucks an hour. He doesn't need your money. He needs Jesus. The first time I ever saw a guy use a gas can as a prop was years ago on our way to California. We stopped at a pilot or a Loves or something outside Sparks, Nevada. And there's a man in a, with a minivan parked sideways right at the end of the gas pump aisle. And he's got a lawn chair and a gas can and a cardboard sign. A huge beer gut. And he's sitting there in his flip-flops and his shorts and his tank top with a cardboard sign that says, Need gas. And he's got a gas, big old gas can beside him. And I just look and I, who drives around with a gas can? I've never, ever gone on a cross-country trek with a gas can. It just looked suspicious, and the guy that was pumping gas on the other side of my aisle, he said, I was through here a month ago, and the same guy was there. He said, all the locals know he's a liar, but he gets a lot of money from the people driving through on the interstate because they think he's stuck. And it was, just, it was an interesting lesson. Years ago, a man pulls in in a pickup to the church parking lot, and he wants the church to fix the four-wheel drive on his pickup. He drove in in the pickup. But it, it operates, it works, but his transfer case is out, for those of you who know what that is. And he needs, I don't have a job, but I want to work, I need income, but, but I, I'm going to cut firewood this summer, but I, my pickup needs four-wheel drive. And he said, and he said so I'm not, I'm not begging, I'm not asking, I, what I need is a $250 loan, and then I will cut firewood for you to pay you back. I said, the church doesn't need firewood. And he said, well, probably somebody in the church does. And I just didn't feel right about it. Like, I wanted to help the guy. I appreciate somebody that comes in and says they want to work rather than just asking for a handout. Uh, so I gave him 250 bucks of my personal money, and I said, you cut me two loads of firewood sometime. Well, probably be, this is like May. So it will probably be like September. Okay, fine. He said, I got to cut, cut wood and sell it to, to pay my bills this summer, but I'll cut you a couple loads. Like, Great, fine. Gave me his phone number and his address. I mean, I, I was like, okay, guy's probably pretty legit. Well, August came, and he wasn't answering my phone calls, and, and I, my wood was not promised anyway. And I, so I drove to the address he gave me, and I knocked on the door, and somebody shouts out of the house next door, they packed up and moved to Reno last night. <laughs> oh, well. 15 or 16 years ago, we, a group from our church went to San Francisco to the YWAM base and we were doing ministry on the street there and, and amongst lots of different activities one of the things that they have groups do is to pack a lunch at the YWAM base go out on the street and find someone sitting on the sidewalk and you have two lunches and you just sit with them and talk with them don't just give them a handout but sit and talk there was a group of two or three of us, and we went out, and we had our lunches, and we found these two guys sitting on the sidewalk with a guitar case out or a coat or something that people were throwing coins on, and, and they're just sitting there, and, and we sat down with them and fed them our lunch that we'd made them, and we talked to them. You know, we were here with YWAM, and they knew the YWAM base right there downtown, and they'd run into a lot of you know, the, the inner city missions groups that come, and they knew all about Jesus, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, we know all about Jesus. And, and in the process of the conversation, I find out these two guys are brothers, and they're not homeless. 
they have an apartment. But they can make more money just sitting on the sidewalk, not begging, not asking, just sitting there with a, with a coat out. They can make more money than they could if they got a job. So they just go and sit on the sidewalk all day long. And this is 15 years ago. They said, we make 25 bucks an hour for both of us. As we sat there for an hour or more with them, there would be people walk by and they'd throw a couple coins. And then every once in a while, somebody would throw a five or 20 and they would scoop that up and put it in their pocket so that it just looked like coins on the coat. But that guy, those guys easily, I believed them. They made between the two of them 50 bucks an hour. Uh, and oh yeah, we go home every night. We got plenty of food. We don't, we don't need anything. What do we do? Now, I told you last year a story of a denominational, an American church denominational orphanage ministry that ran in Haiti. And the, the group that ran the orphanage found out one of their kids was not actually an orphan, that the parents had hidden and lied, and this kid had been presented to the ministry as an orphan that needed care, and so they'd taken them in, and, and they lived there, and they're being fed and schooled and clothed and all of that, and and then they find out this, that this is a lie, that it's not actually an orphan kid, and that he had a family, that the parents were just cheating the system. And then they did a little more investigation, and they found out that not a single one of their kids was an orphan. Not a single one out of like 100 kids. They all had families. And parents, but the Haitian parents were working the American church system. If I was in their state, I probably would do the same thing. If you're a dirt poor in Haiti and you don't have any other options, what do we expect them to do? But there's big problems. There's, there's big problems. When we go to northern Canada, you know, we, we go out with Oyman and Inger to what are called the Native Reserves. And we have meetings and worship out there. And, and the people are very dear. They live in grinding poverty. It look, the, the reserve towns look like a war zone. You just wouldn't expect something like that in Canada. Graffiti and shot out windows and burned up cars and four-wheelers. And we went into one house that the sheetrock, the dogs had chewed the sheetrock off the walls as high as they could reach. And there was doorknobs were missing and the windows were plasticed over because they'd been shot out or knocked out. And there was nothing on the shower. It was just bare studs and black mold. And there's, I think, 11 or 12 people living there in filth and we're trying to minister to them and Oivan says you know but there's so many people living in this house and on government support he said they they live on six to seven thousand a month and they just blow it systematic welfare and organized charity are from hell it is God says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Don't help someone disobey God. You hear me? God says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Don't help somebody disobey God. Charity and welfare destroy families. They destroy cultures. They destroy responsibility and dignity in people. And make their lives meaningless. So the church has confused the great commandment with the great commission. Jesus said, go out and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. 
And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. We've gone out preaching, love your neighbor. That's supposed to be our method. It's not our message. Our message is repent of your sin and be saved by Jesus Christ. When Peter, the beggar in the gate beautiful, asked Peter for money, Peter says, I don't have any money for you, but what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. We're supposed to be distributing the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we take care of people in genuine need, but that's not the purpose of the church's existence. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. We're never going to alleviate world poverty. It isn't going to happen. It's not our mission. We're just supposed to take care of the people in front of us. Systematic church charity and systematic government welfare ruin people. Jesus didn't tell us to go out and take care of the poor, and that's what Christianity is. So don't confuse the great commandment with the great commission. Don't ever help anybody disobey God. Take care of real, genuine needs. But in America, a lot of that usually isn't money or food. They need someone to talk with them, to love them, to take responsibility for them in relationship rather than hand them some money and go on about your life. You've eased your conscience because I've given to the poor. But what you've done is keep them poor. So from time to time, we have people, doesn't happen very often, but it has happened regularly, that people will arrive here at church on a Sunday morning right as we are dismissing from service to hit you all up for money. We've had people come in in the last 10 minutes of service and stand in the back, and once we dismiss service, they were literally going back and forth across the back of the room asking everybody for money. We've had people... Uh, set up in the lobby and right outside the door we had somebody park their car in the gate one time we need money we need help with our car and they just happened to be parked where nobody could get past them we have a lady who used to attend church here for years and it was always just fine it was perfectly fine and then real recently every Sunday for a month and a half she asked for money. She hit a bunch of you up for money. She called the church during the week and asked for money, and we would help her buy diapers for her granddaughter or this, pay for this or that or whatever. It, I got the idea that, okay, this is happening every week. And it's not, she's not just asking the church. She's asking people in the church, this is not good. So the last request, I gave her some money out of my own wallet. I said, the church is not going to give you any, anything else. We're done. I said, but here's 20 bucks from me. I love you, I will help you, but you have always made it on your own before, and you're going to continue to make it, you'll be all right, don't ask for any more money, haven't seen her since. I know where she's attending church, and she is milking them for all they're worth. I have told the people there what's happening, and I don't know if they know they're being taken or not. We had a family that came to church here uh, years ago that was continually about to have their water shut off. We're about to have our power shut off. And they did live in poverty. And she was raising three or four or six grandkids. I don't even know how many there were. And so we would pay their water bill. And when, whenever I paid their water bill, then they'd stop coming to church for six months. And then all of a sudden they'd be back at church. And I just knew they'd come one Sunday. And then the next Sunday there would be, Mitch, our power's about to get shut off. And... So four or five or six times, the church, the money that you give in the offering, 
that I'm sort of responsible with. I always call the elders and ask about things like that, but usually it's Greg or Bill that I'll call and like, what can we do? We give it. So we, we paid their water or their electricity seems like six or eight times over several years. And finally, I just said, listen, dear, we would love to have you at church, but you can't only come when there's a crisis and we're not going to pay your bills for you. I haven't seen her since. They're not interested in Jesus. They're interested in money. So I would ask, you. obviously you can do whatever you want, but I would ask, I would request that if somebody hits you up for money here, please do not give to them. Refer them to call the church office on Monday. And that way we can sort of keep tabs on what's going in and out. And if you're giving, then six other people have too, and, and you're marked. And I, I'm just trying to protect you. I'm not saying don't be generous. What I am saying is if the circumstances are very clear, be instantly generous. The, the guy with, who's stranded on the side of the road or the people who it's very obvious they don't have money for their gas, they don't have food, or their house just burned down and they need funds and furniture and what you know what I mean. If it's very clear this is a legitimate, urgent need, God says open your wallet instantly and open your heart and your hand and do not be begrudging. Look for ways to be generous. If the circumstances are not clear, if you're not sure whether their story is true or not, which happens quite a bit, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Ask God, do I give here? There may be people that seems like you should give, but God says don't. You don't know what lesson he's trying to teach. It may need to get really, really, really bad for them before they obey God. And he has to wait that out. Other times it may seem like you're getting ripped off, but the Holy Spirit says give. That happens with me a lot. Like, God, I don't know that I believe this guy. God says, give to him right now. Yes, sir. (laughs) So you follow the Spirit if you're not quite sure. But overall, always look to be generous. Don't ever talk yourself out of obeying the Good Samaritan parable. Hello? Jesus said, we take care of whoever's in front of us. Take care of who's ever in front of us. Be instantly willing to be generous. Your cup overflows. Whether you know it or not, by faith, your cup overflows. God will repay you for what you give to take care of the people around you. Amen? Lord, we love you. We bless you. Thank you for being good to us. There was times when we needed you desperately and you came through and you rescued us, you saved us, you healed us, you provided what we needed. And we want to be your agents in other people's lives, Lord. We want to love them in your name. Forgive us for being stingy or talking ourselves out of being responsible for other people. Lord, we want to be true disciples of you. And you were always taking care of other people. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your direction. We submit to the voice of your spirit. When and where and how to give. We submit to your instruction, your command that we go and do likewise. We want to be automatic, instant givers that you guide in wisdom. Thank you for the joy of taking care of the people around us in your name. Thank you for honoring us with the people that you appoint us to meet this day and that. 
So take care of them in your name. I bless each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.